0: The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q and A, there may be extended
1: periods of silence.
0: We started. Um, very excited to have uh, Leonce Crump with us now, Leonce, If uh, if you don't know anything about him, um, you will. He's a good. I just. I was talking with him yesterday. He said, what am I talking about? I said, just do you. Just talk about you and what you've done to help uh, your church in the area of strategy and the area of administration and the area of that. He, uh, and whether you're good at it or not is what I'm kind of after. Um, again, I told you my two rules yesterday. Uh, Reed is no longer the toughest guy in the room. Leonce is the toughest guy in the room. So do not piss him off. So ask your, start your questions with Sir... Or whatever, and yeah, but no. So, uh, very excited to have him here. I'll let him share more of his journey, his story. If that's okay, you can go ahead and do that, and you know it better than I do, because you lived it, or, or not, whatever you're going to do. How much you want? A couple minutes? Uh, i got a flight at 2 o'clock tomorrow. So okay, short sometime. version. Uh, not now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to get out of here. All right. Lord, I do want to thank you for my brother. I pray, God, that uh, we just learn now more about what it means to be stewards and humble stewards of what you're doing. Yes, God, Lord. it's actually an incredible privilege to have the opportunity we have to shepherd people. And as this grows, and for the people in this room, there's 200 to 400 souls that are regularly part of our families. So help us to be wise in how we steward that. And I want my brother here to, to lead us and to help us grow uh, to be better, shepherds in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Thank you. So um, my name is Leon Crump. I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I uh, went to the University of Oklahoma, played low football there, wrestled there, uh, got beat up, which shortened my NFL career significantly. And, uh, and somewhere in the midst of my journey, God moved me to Sevierville, Tennessee, uh, which most of you probably have no idea where that is. Uh, it is it is a pimple on the back of Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, and uh, it is where Dollywood is located. Dolly Parton has her own theme park there. I live down the street from both the theme park and her, uh, and I got a membership there because they had giant corn dogs. And so I would drive in, get a corn dog, drive out on the way home from work every day, uh, which did not do good uh, for my body fat composition. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was in Sevierville. Uh, that God called me to, uh, or forced me, rather would be better words, to plant a church and, uh, and began to stir that in my heart uh, and would not let me resist it. Uh, my wife and I were uh, um, fairly newly married. We had a, a new baby, uh, and God, in a matter of months, moved us to a new city, in downtown Atlanta, in the center of the city by Turner Field, if you're familiar with Atlanta, uh, where we planted Renovation Church. Uh, this has nothing to do with the talk or the topic, but I will encourage you along these lines. Uh, um, it was the fourth team uh, that actually launched Renovation Church. And uh, I think a lot of guys hear the story of our church's growth, if you have heard it, and explosion and, uh, and think that I'm some guru or maybe you don't, but I'm not. Uh, I failed three times, miserably, uh, before we ever saw the fruit that is actually born what is Renovation Church. And so wherever you are in that process, uh, uh, if God has called you, he'll finish the work, and, uh, and he will use you in whatever capacity he determines he's going to use you. Uh, today, uh, I'm going to talk about how to lead administratively from the senior position. And, and what I want to do first is, is kind of walk you through just these three words that I've written up on the board and then give you a few ideas that you can take or leave, uh, but I, I think they've been helpful for me. Uh, and then I want to do an extended Q&A. Uh, one thing about conferences that I've never been comfortable with is you get a guy who's supposedly an expert or a gal in, uh, in Amy Patrick's case who was the best communicator at the St. Louis Boot Camp a few years ago, and, uh, and, and they tell you what they know on the subject matter as experts, but then you have questions that are not addressed in that content. And, uh, and sometimes you're left wanting. So I want to spend as much time as I can hopefully being helpful and asking the questions that you are actually thinking. Would that be all right? Yes, sir. No? All right. Now listen. Hey, I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't disappoint me, brother. You got, you got to show these folks how to do it now. I ain't even preaching. But you can acknowledge that you're alive. Uh, so. Planning a church uh, kind of goes through three phases in my mind. I think you can break it out into a bunch of micro parts, uh, but I think that there are, there are three primary phases that you've experienced that, I, that even looking at these words, you, you may be somewhere in between them now uh, in, in what you are doing. Uh, the first phase is inspiration. Uh, that is the first phase of a church plan. That is generally where vision is born. Uh, that is generally where uh, you began to gather a core team around ideals and values, which Pastor Trike uh, was sharing in his session, kind of the values and principles that drive the function of their ministry. Inspiration is what causes someone to move from one city to another. Inspiration is the tool that you use to draw people in, to draw money in, to draw resources in. Inspiration is what carries you through those first couple years. And and so, again, just in our own narrative, just to give a little context to the idea, it was only inspiration that kept us in Renovation Church. Uh, The first team that we had, uh, we gathered about 30 people for that team. uh, And in a uh, three-week period, 27 of those people moved away for various reasons. Just gone. I mean, and none of them left poorly. Uh, one guy got a job teaching in South Carolina. Another guy's mom got sick. Another lady took a job in D.C., and it was just pew, 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 pum, and we were left with me, my wife, and three people. Uh, it was only inspiration that carried us through that. Second team uh, blew up because they had money, and they lived in the suburbs, and they wanted to plant a church in the city. It turned out that they wanted me to plant a church in the city that they could drive to, uh, and so that team fell apart because i I believe in indigenous ministry i believe that if you love people that you're going to live with them uh, in order to see them engage the gospel and so that team fell apart third team uh, uh, was when i met perimeter churches elders and they wanted to bring me into a residency i thought it was a pretty good deal they said hey take a year do this residency we'll give you a hundred grand and pay your salary for the first year of the church plant miracle I go to this team that we have of 30 people, and I'm like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship at this PCA church in the mornings, uh, which all the black folk was done right there, uh, <laughs> and then we're going to come back, and, and we are PCA, by the way. We're going to come back, and we're going to gather as a team in the evenings and break down the vision and mission values, et cetera. They all darted. It was only inspiration that kept us through that process. Uh, But inspiration cannot be the catalyst for your leadership continually through this process of leading a church because you will lose inspiration at times. Inspiration will wane. People will draw from you uh, uh, your inspiration and make you feel valueless. You will make yourself feel valueless. And so at, at some point you begin to see that inspiration is not enough to motivate you to continue to lead out of strength, uh, uh, and, and in the midst of that, you drift into a season of intuition. Okay, so inspiration is the catalyst. Intuition uh, uh, is the next phase of generally leading a church. Intuition is where we begin to do things based out of what we know, what we've learned, what we've experienced, when we get a little bit of traction. Intuition uh, is, is when we begin to... Uh, incidentally regurgitate all of the preachers that we've heard and all of the books that we've read uh, and all of the best practices that we've picked up. Okay, Now I won't spend too much time there because I want to get to the latter and that's where we're going to spend the next ten or so minutes. Uh, intuition is where most of us stay. Uh, we, we move out of inspiration, we move into intuition, and intuition is how we make our decisions. Intuition Is how we hire staff. Intuition is how we form groups or not form groups. Intuition becomes the motive and the impetus for how we make most of our major ministry decisions. And most of the church planters that I have the privilege of walking with and consulting and and speaking for are locked into this intuition phase. So let me give you an example. You know, actually I'll draw a circle here first first example, and I'll draw a circle there. In the assessment process, a few years ago, um, after we asked all the theological questions, which most people were ready for, uh, and after we asked all the marriage questions, which most guys had coached their wives up already, (laughs) right? Except for the handful where she breaks down into a fit of tears in the middle of the the assessment, and you know this is not going very far. Uh, uh, And and after we ask all those questions, uh, I found that a lot of the assessments were just done. And everybody's like, yay, he's going to be able to do this. Well, I was the a-hole that was like, wait a minute. Um, what is your plan for making disciples? Well, you know, I mean, you know, life on, if they were from campus ministry background, you know, life on life. You know, life on life. I'm like. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like life on life. You know, life (laughs) on life. And I'm like, okay, but but what does that mean? Well, basically, it's like this. You know, I got a life and they got a life. I don't put my life on their life. I'm like, your wife is okay with that? You know? Intuition, right? They, they've experienced something that they want to try to replicate that they can't even put into words. That goes for leadership development, uh, uh, preaching calendar planning, strategic mapping, hiring processes. And I can go on and on and on. And so that's why I put that between there because at the assessment phase, you have guys who are living on inspiration and planning on intuition and have no idea what they really want to do. And then we plant the church, right? And, and we bring that right into our leadership. And everything that we do, I need you to hear me on this, I need you to be honest with yourself. Most of what we do is based on intuition. And intuition produces regurgitation. Intuition produces a lack of creativity. Intuition produces a lack of of the full breadth of contextualization because you're only doing what you know how to do based on reactionary leadership. And that is why most churches never give birth to another church. That is why uh, uh, we end up in terrible staff situations. Uh, that we tarry too long. We hire fast and fire slow based on intuition. Uh, I can go on and on in that. But rather than just dwell on the negative, because I, I think we're all on the same page. If, if we're not, somebody yell it out. Don't, don't believe Pastor Triak. I'm not going to attack you. I'm wearing a suit. I don't want to wrinkle it. Uh, am, I, am I speaking dishonestly here? Are most of us operating on intuition? We know we are. What are you going to preach this week? I don't know. What am I feeling? Rather than, where are our people? What's bubbling up from our community groups? What are they struggling with? What are the spirits saying? What do I want to form in them this year? Do I want it to be Christology? Well, then then maybe I should choose Colossians instead of John. Do I want it to be mission? Well, maybe I should choose Jonah instead of Matthew. So how do we not do intuition? Well, the answer is in healthy, growing, multiplying, mobilizing churches, eventually you have to move from intuition to intentionality. And that's what I've been kind of alluding to. You have to move from intuition to intentionality, where you sit down with whatever shred of Holy Spirit-given, administrative gifting that God has given you, Uh, and and I want to just go ahead and debunk that, God would not put you as the lead pastor of a church you've planted, which is an apostolic gifting, which an apostolic gifting is to bring order to chaos if you had no administrative gifting. Now, you may not want to do the work to cultivate it (laughs) because you want to preach. I want to preach. I'm going to preach. That's why I hate tri-perspectivalism. It has made us all lazy in expressing the other forms and functions of God's gifting in a lead pastor. Right? I'm prophetic, so I I don't have to counsel. You get smacked at renovation for saying something like that, right? So God is giving you an administrative gift. It may not be this big, but if you are leading a church that you planted, that meant that you had some apostolic impetus to go out and take the gospel where it was not presently, which means that you have some gifting to administer order where there's chaos, And if your church is going to be viable and thriving, then you have to move from intuition to intentionality. You have to tap into whatever minutia of that administrative gift that you have, you have to cultivate it. And just so I don't forget to say this, once I run through these things, once you max that out, well, then you begin to staff around what you don't have. And you empower those people to do what you can't do. So, a couple ideas on uh, moving from intuition to intentionality. These are super, super, super practical. Super practical. Uh, Number one, you need to quarter your time. You need to quarter your time in this phase of 200 to 400. What do I mean by that? I literally mean quarter your time. Get out a piece of paper. Draw a pie chart. In one quadrant, write discipleship with unbelievers. In another quadrant, write pastoral care and discipleship with believers. In another quadrant, write study and preparation. In another quadrant, write administration and leadership. You need to quarter your time and divided equally across those things that's where you are now when i I was beginning my church and there wasn't a whole lot of administration to do I, i i had my time in thirds i spent a third of my time with unbelievers i spent a third of my time developing my core team and believers and i spent a third of my time prepping and doing a little bit of administration but i didn't have any administration But when you're at this phase of the game, you've got giving reports and you've got volunteer management and system management and and strategic thinking. And you need to set aside a quarter of your time during the week that you have set aside particularly to administer. That means you're going to have to study less. I know that sounds counterintuitive. But 25 hours in a sermon is not realistic for where you are in your church plan. It's not. It's not a realistic expectation. Now, if you disagree with that, take it up with me afterwards. I love to talk it through. I love to tell you all the trial and fail. You can ask Strike, You can ask any guy pastoring at a higher level now. 20, 25, 20 hours a week in the sermon prep, not realistic. Not unless you're going to work 80 hours a week, which you shouldn't be doing because that's not healthy or biblical. So, quarter your time. Divide it up equally so that you have set aside time to think, to strategize, to answer email, to develop, to administer. Number two, formalized communication. Formalized communication. Uh, at this point, um, The informal communication chains that you used to use to pull off events and get people places and and tell your staff what they need to do and what their roles are and what their jobs are, that has to go away. It has to go away. You need to formalize communication. So here's one thing. Uh, Anything work-related starting at this 200 to 400 phase with renovation had to come through email. If you want to time off, you have to fill out a form to get vacation, not come into my office and say, hey, pastor, I'm really tired, man. What do you think about me getting next week off? Uh, you're supposed to put that request in 30 days ago, right? Now, there are times in God's mercy that I know that this person has been blowing and going and not taking care of themselves, and I will extend that gratis to take care of them, but most of the time. I want them to fill out the form that they need to do to request vacation so that we can have an orderly and organized understanding of who is where and when. Because every one of you have been there on an important event, and it's you and one of the staff, and you're like, where the heck is everybody at? Where are your key volunteers? Oh, well, Rick had to go over here, and Susie had this going on, and And then you're stressed and freaking out. But that's not their fault. That's your fault because you're not leading them and effectively communicating what they're doing with their time. Okay? Formalized communication. One tool that we like to use now among our staff teams is a tool called Slack. Uh, um, It keeps us all connected, and and in live time, uh, um, we can communicate different ideas in different pieces. Uh, For bigger things, we use email communication. And sometimes it's cumbersome, and sometimes it's bothersome. And sometimes it's easier for me to send a text message to my operations director for something that I want her to do uh, versus writing out the email. But I write out the email because it allows us to have a clear paper trail and accountability on what she's been asked to do and what I've asked her to do in the timeline that we've placed on it. Does that make sense? So you can put a whole bunch of things under that broad umbrella, but at this stage you need to formalize your communication. Uh, another tool that we like to use is Trello for project management. Uh, Trello is a fantastic tool for project management. Uh, You check things off. And and so like for for our big Easter event this year, this past year, we use Trello. Everybody had a job. We could communicate in live time. When something got done, you put a check mark in it. No balls got dropped for the first time. For the first time. Two years ago, we were supposed to have a DJ. Nobody knew where the DJ was. Last year, the eggs showed up an hour late. So this is coming from failures. This past year, no problems. No issues, no hurdles, no hang-up. Formalize your communication. Uh, Number two, you need to move from generalist to specialist, or three, rather, you need to move from generalist to specialist as quickly as possible. You need to be moving from generalist to specialist. Uh, that whole, uh, Larry Osborne talks about this in Sticky Teams, he says much better than me. There, I quoted somebody. Uh, get that book, walk your team through it. That whole idea, all hands on deck, everybody kind of do a little piece, that, that has to stop. You doing everything has to stop. If you are not consistently working yourself out of a job, you're not leading effectively. You're not leading effectively. I am looking for ways to work myself out of stuff every single week, not because I'm lazy, but because I know that the less I'm doing, the more empowered my team is. And so you should be moving from generalists to specialists in this phase. And it doesn't mean it's gonna happen overnight, but that requires, again, this is administering, that requires an exercise such as, we as a team uh, in this phase of growth went to a whiteboard and wrote down everything that we were doing from ministry to mundane. And then we put initials by it to see who was actually doing it. And then we scratched out the things that weren't contributing to the mission. And then we reassigned things based on people's gifting and and growth and new team members. And then we deployed into those roles from that process. Okay? So that more and more and more people could begin to specialize. So I stopped going to our city group leader huddles. There's no reason for me to be there anymore. We have a groups guy. Why am I still there? I'm, I, it, when I'm there, people turn to me for information that they should be going to him for. So he can't do his job. He's emasculated in that moment, not intentionally. And he's not being built up as a leader. And they continue to come to me for things that they should be going to him for. These are just little examples. You need to move from generalists to specialists as best you can, and you need to be working yourself out of roles, okay? A couple other things, and then we'll get to to, to Q&A because I've I've already gone longer than I thought. Uh, You need a personal development plan. You need to write it out. You need a team development plan. You need to write it out. You need to formalize how discipleship is happening. You need to write it out. You need to formalize how leadership development is happening. Those are two different things, and you need to write it out. And you need to have, at this point, staff-level volunteers, because you don't have the money to hire everybody that you want to hire, but you have uh, incredibly gifted people who can give you 10, 15 hours a week. And so rather than hiring one person for $70,000 a year to do a job for 60 hours a week, you staff key volunteers at 10 to 15 hours a week, and you staff three of them to do the same job that you would hire one person to do. These are administrative decisions that have been absolutely invaluable to the life and growth of Renovation Church, uh, and that I've seen be helpful and valuable to the few men that I have the privilege of serving. So big ideas, and then we'll go to Q&A. Inspiration to intuition is the genesis of a church plant to the forward progress of a church plant, but intuition is where most of us stay rather than moving into intentionality. Uh, and then, of course, we walk through these ideas already. So, that's my time. Uh, we'll go to questions. Sir, what's up, man? What's up, my brother? I ain't seen you in a minute. What's going on at Oak Cliff? Yes. I'll give you, I, I do mine weekly. And one caveat I'll give is, is I also work toward my energy and, and how I function. So I, I am pretty much worthless after about 1 o'clock. We're coming up on it right now. Uh, uh, I'm, I mean, seriously. It, it took me a little while to realize this. I'd sit down to try to do sermon prep at two and I just stare at the computer and it wasn't because logos was so awesome I was just literally just staring at the computer and I put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off and I finally realized that that I I can't create in the afternoon I just can't like I I, I mean I don't know if the Lord will change something Uh, every now and then I get a burr in my butt of pressure and, and I can create something, but it, it will be far less valuable than had I set aside the time to create it in the mornings. And so I, w- I work toward my energy. So, so my weekly rhythm uh, is on Monday mornings. I take two hours, and I read commentaries and look at culture. I'll read The New Yorker, go on Twitter, find articles, CNN, whatever. Uh, Tuesday mornings, uh, I write most of my sermon. Uh, And then Wednesday mornings, I go back and review what I've written. And I try to stay two to three weeks ahead um, uh, on that. And and it helps me, man. And it doesn't disrupt. I I am reformatic to the core. uh, Reformed charismatic. Come on, keep up. Uh, And and so it does not disrupt the work of the Holy Spirit. There, There are many a Sunday where the Lord will wake me up and cash my sermon and tell me to preach something else. And I do it. Uh, So being prepared doesn't diminish the work of the Spirit. Uh, But the Spirit works through your preparation. And the best sermons I preach are the ones that I spent the most time on. So I work toward my energy for that reason. So so that's a quarter of a week right there. I I generally put uh, between 8 and 10 hours into a sermon. Uh, On great weeks, 5. And that's a great week. Uh, and uh, And then I'll have a little time to cheat somewhere else, uh, but I quarter my time across the week and I'll work toward my energy. So email, uh, which I hate, which I pray that the Lord would strike from the face of the earth, um, I have that schedule. okay This is what it means to to, to administer, right I have that schedule I'm not available to answer email all day long I'm not looking at my phone you know answering emails here and there I have four times a week for 45 minutes that I answer emails. And if I don't answer them in them 45 minutes four times a week, then they will roll till the next week. Uh, and that's okay. That's now, now, if you're not using that time to answer emails, well, now you're not leading effectively because you need to be responsive to people. But, that you know, Pastor Matt talked in the, in the other session about a 72-hour response period that they have. Uh, I believe that will cover it. 45 minutes, four days a week, rather than constant availability, which creates a constant sense of urgency, which no one should live under, okay? So, quarter your time, Does that, you know what I'm saying? And work towards your energy. So, if, you, if you're mad creative late at night and you know that, well, then you need to plan for that. So, you don't need to be getting up, going in early in the morning and planning meetings early in the morning. You, you need to roll out of bed about 10, be okay with that. You know, hang with your wife, hang with your kids. Work till eleven, if that's when you're creative. Quarter your time, work towards the energy. Yes, sir. So, uh, when you were were moving towards intentionality,
0: and you said all of us have to, we've got that apostolic giftings, we work towards that. How did you identify the areas where it was toughest to be intentional, and
1: how did you push through those difficulties to be intentional? Uh... Uh, how did I identi- he said, how did I identify the areas that were toughest to be intentional, and then how did I push through? I identified the areas that were toughest to be intentional because there were fires all around me, right? So communication, that was one of them. I, I realized that, that we had been buddies. I mean, most of the people on my staff are my friends. We've hired from the inside for—we for, we have, uh, um, have 17 staff members. All but one have been hired from the inside. And so these are my friends. And so at, at a certain level, we had gotten used to getting things done and passing conversations. Like, hey, you got the bulletins ready this weekend? Great. Hey, you, you know, and, and, and everything flowed pretty well when there were three of us or two of us doing that. But the more complex it got uh, and the more that was at stake, like the Sunday that we had no bulletins. Or the Sunday that we had no projector, but nobody knew that the projector was broken because the service programming director had told or the sound guy had told the service programming director in passing who had told my administrative assistant uh, in passing who had not emailed it to me, but was waiting to talk to me. And so we showed up on a Sunday morning and we had no words on the screen. So then we had to send somebody to the office to scramble to print out the songs on a piece of paper to stick them into the bulletins that we also didn't have so that people could be able to sing the songs they're supposed to be singing. So wherever you feel those pain points in your personal ability to lead and to minister and to minister and wherever you see fires and feel pressure and tension, that's where you're not operating in intentionality and you're still operating off of intuition. And the way, that I, the way that I pushed through it was just to make some, some real clear, difficult decisions about how I used my time, uh, when I was available and when I wasn't, and how I began to lead my staff. And so, again, I used I use it as an example. It is hard to look at somebody who is clearly tired and say, no, you can't go on vacation because you didn't put the vacation form in. But I had to do that for their sake and for the sake of the organization. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Uh, You talked about formalizing uh, how discipleship is happening. Mm -hmm. Mhm. Walk through how you would describe your formal discipleship. I'll draw it. So we call this the D ship. Discipleship ecosystem. I like words, so I use them. You don't have to do that. Worship. Say what? Do you? Is that with the? You got the flag praise team too, don't you? You had them last time I was there. I don't know if that changed. I know y'all in a building now, so you might have got rid of the praise dancers. Um <laughs> worship gathering, city group. Get trained. DNA. Let's see if I can squeeze this. In here, Ministry team, leadership development. So, all of these are different environments that are the function of our church. And rather than seeing them as disparate things that we do, we, we found the interconnected pieces of them and defined them uh, to understand how discipleship is happening at every level. Uh, and then we push those environments toward a connectivity that allows them to work together. So for instance, worship gathering. Uh, we're doing a series in January called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be dope. <laughs> hey. Hate your family, love your enemy, right? So because that is going to be our sermon series, uh, within the worship gathering, which we call didactic discipleship, people are sitting under the preached word and being shaped in Christ by the preached word, we want to we wanna organize everything that we do on that Sunday morning around that reality. So things I wish Jesus never said, the entire series uh, is Christocentric, One. So we wanna sing a lot of songs that shape Christology. Uh, it is also challenging us toward holiness and discipleship. So in our application songs, we wanna sing songs that talk about what is being ripped from our flesh and our idolatry, okay? So we're gonna take that, what's taking place in the preached word and the songs sang. And we have a curriculum, uh, nothing major. We are not a major operation. Uh, our spiritual formation director is sitting down right now. This, uh, this is the beauty of planning right? Our sermon calendar is planned through 2016. So my group's guy can sit down and look at the text with me because we do group exegesis, which is also something I suggest for your edification. Uh, And my worship leader and my group's guy sits in our exegetical process. We walk through what the text says and where we want it to go and the thrust of it. He then takes that uh, and he begins to just build out these little one pages with questions and ideas and challenging things that they then breakdown in our city groups. Our city groups are peer-to-peer discipleship, and that's how we define it. It it is the environment in which we practice the one another's. So they counsel, they bear one another's burdens, they disciple one another peer-to-peer using the very things uh, and ideas that are being preached in that current series. Our get trained classes, uh, they are worldview discipleship. And so this is something that, that We really focus heavily on and helping people understand, especially in the South, that knowing the Bible and having a biblical worldview are two different things. Knowing the Word of God and what it says and knowing how to interpret the culture through the lens of the Word of God are two different things. And for most Christians, they know the Bible, but they allow culture to interpret culture for them and to help them make their choices. So in this Get Trained class... We want to expand this idea of things I wish Jesus never said uh, into cultural critiques and teach people how to see the culture through the lens of the Word of God. So, for instance, one of these classes might be in the spring. We haven't determined it yet. Uh, uh, focus on how the world says treat your enemies. Treat them shrewdly. Uh, uh, give examples of that and how it's been big-upped by people like Mark Cuban and others when they took corporations or, or whatever, whatever we want to focus on there. And then we show them through the lens of the scripture how they should actually see what's taking place in the world. And so that is a biblical worldview discipleship. We are forming for them how to see the world through the lens of the scriptures. DNA groups, discipleship, nurture, and accountability. Took it straight from Jeff der Stelt. Uh, um, and the whole idea there is to get men with men and women with women in small settings to do exactly that. Uh, This works well for us in the south because most of our uh, ethnic minorities come to renovation looking for a Bible study They realize that city groups are not Bible studies and they're like pastor where the Bible study at? I'm like you need to get in the DNA group because the only thing that you do in DNA group is open up the scriptures so connected to this worship gathering and what took place. Our spiritual formation director or somebody else from our teaching team will go through and find the parallel verses connected to what was preached on that Sunday. They put those parallel verses together in new version in a Bible reading plan connected to Renovation Church. That Bible reading plan is being walked through in our DNA groups, and those DNA groups discuss not only the few pieces of the sermon that they may have walked away with, but they wrestle with those parallel verses together in a Bible study format. And then they nurture one another in living out of those things and hold each other accountable to what they're not living out of. And then ministry teams, same thing. That is discipleship through service because Jesus said the greatest among you is the one who serves. So we want to cultivate in people a servant's heart and then leadership development, the same thing. And so all of these things work together to form disciples. And so that is our intentional map and intentional plan for making disciples. Uh, and, and we work it, and we follow it, and it is undergirded and boxed in by our vision and our values and our mission. Does that make sense? All right. got to interrupt. No, you're not
0: done. I just had to reserve the right to say something here. Did you see what he just did? That's a leader. That's what you need to do. If anybody copies this, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to send he, you him down to your place to kill you. But what he just did is in that quarter of his time, he thought through his culture and what does it actually mean for us to have disciples in our culture, in our people, and this is what we're going to do, and you all just got excited about it. If you copy him, I'm going to kill you because that's not what, you're, nobody's going to get inspired with you getting his vision. You need to take these principles and you need to do the hard work that he did so that he can on 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 a back of a napkin, he can show this to anybody because he's passionate about it. He didn't copy this from Rick Warren or anybody. This is his thing. This is why I told you in the very beginning, at this size, you gotta work harder than you ever did. Because you gotta think through all this stuff. And what you just saw was an example of that, I want you to, you got me, this is the equivalent of me standing up in the worship service, brother, Amen. preach it now. Amen. I got very excited, I've been trying to teach them all, not this, this is good, but that's what, at this level, you've got to rise to that level of leadership, you can't do this any longer, come on, we're just going to follow Jesus, and, and,
1: and it's going to be a fun ride, you've yeah. got to do the hard work to lead people, and so, hey, that's all, that's all I want to say. Hey, thanks, Pastor, that's moving from intuition to intentionality. Now, uh, just going off of what he said, what, what I would normally write when I teach this to our leaders is our values. So I said it's undergirded by our values. And so our values are worship, mission, service, renewal, and transculturalism, which Pastor Matt Adair owes me royalties for using yesterday in his sermon. I see you back there. Don't use it if you can't define it, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the other idea along the, li- along the same lines, in a broader sense, not just related to a sermon series, is for our context and for our people, we've determined that this is what a disciple looks like. In the city of Atlanta, a disciple is a person who understands worship as all of life, That mission is an identity uh, and not a practice. That service is at the heart of any gospel transformed person. That renewal is our uh, eschatological hermeneutic. Uh, In case nobody told you, the rapture is not going to happen. God is coming back for this earth. Uh, What about Rayford
0: and Chloe, brother?
1: (laughs) And then transcultural. That we understand that, uh, um, that the gospel itself and the redemptive narrative of Scripture is inherently transcultural. That it has always been the plan of God, starting in Genesis 12, 3, when he told Abraham that the nations would be blessed through him, that the redemptive historical narrative itself of God is transcultural. And so I know that I've made a disciple, if I put it in layman's terms, I know I've made a disciple who gives and is generous uh, and is exuberant in worship, uh, who is inviting uh, and living on mission in their neighborhood who I don't have to ask why they're serving or where they're serving, who sees their job, their everyday job, as a means of producing human flourishing and reflecting the kingdom to come, and whose friendships and the people that sit around their table are not monocultural, okay? That's what a disciple looks like for us. And we use this process to form those disciples at Renovation Church. And, if, and as Pastor Trike already said, if you steal that process, and you're being unfair to your people, uh, and you're making disciples for renovation and not for yourself, which I will benefit from because they will eventually hear me on podcast and move to Atlanta, and you will lose <laughs> them anyway. So make your disciples, okay? Uh, so anyway, uh, any other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, maybe you just keep using your discipleship system as an example. Uh, can you talk to us about evaluation? So if you've got an intentional process. Constant evaluation. Uh, First, we look at the individual pieces. So we look at our groups once a quarter. Uh, And I'll give you another grid. I like drawing stuff. Uh, uh. So I basically put this up on a whiteboard. It's nothing impressive. And we had an all staff meeting and we wrote out every, I'm gonna turn it over there. Every ministry that we're doing related to our discipleship ecosystem, leadership, you know, leadership development, et cetera. And, and, uh, and we put in these quadrants, um, what was it? Uh, dead, declining, crawling, movement. And, uh, and there were two qualifications, so we just weren't having a conversation to bash somebody for how terrible they were leading, uh, source and solution. You could not talk in the meeting unless you had a source uh, or could help them come to an idea of a source, and, if you, and unless you had a solution. If you had no source or no solution, then you had no voice in helping them to evaluate where their ministry is. And so, you know, we started with our, with our groups as a whole. Uh, um, what do our groups look like as a whole? Well, our groups guy said, you know what? I feel like right now as a whole they're crawling. Okay, well, if they're crawling as a whole and we have over 20 groups, well, then what is making them crawl and not be in the movement category? Well, the frank reality is that we have a couple groups that are just dead uh, and we have a couple others that are declining. Well, what is the source of that? Is the source poor leadership? Well, the source is poor leadership, well, is the source of their poor leadership our inability to effectively develop leaders? And we found a big hole that within our discipleship ecosystem, uh, we were doing a fair job of communicating information, but not a fair job of tracking the transformation and application of that information. And so instead of just canning these group leaders, and and sacking them, which is our normal temptation, right? Is just get them out of here because they're terrible. We took the blame and said, you know, we're going to give them another quarter to to turn this thing around. But the way that we're going to do that is by developing them because we have not been keeping up with how they're applying this information. Well, how are we going to develop them? Well, we got to add another layer to our entire group system because right now we have elders who are overseeing care uh, and we have... Uh, uh, training that is taking place monthly. Obviously they need more touches than that. So we need to either create the role of a coach that is going to be specifically for skills development and application of training and teaching, or we need to create another time where they can be with the group guy and me if I'm there uh, to ask hard questions and work on that skills assessment. So this is one of the tools that we use for value, it's our main tool. They were used for evaluation, and then other things kind of spin off of that. No others? Oh, yes, ma'am. We have, we've intentionally said that, uh, and and frankly, and people have different opinions on this. But a lot of people don't have my phone number, um, uh, for many many reasons. Uh, but uh, but with my staff, we've just we've made sure to communicate how we're going to communicate to the congregation, how we're going to communicate with each other, what expectations of communication we have among elders, uh, and people know that, uh, and uh, and most people respect it. Some people get weird about it because they want their pastor. You know, even though we have six elders, I'm their pastor, and they only want to talk to me. And, uh, and we have to shepherd through those situations. But for the most part, we're very clear on how communication takes place. Uh, and that's another thing, formalizing communication, uh, you know, uh, congregationally, not just staff-wise. You know, sending a, a, a MailChimp used to be effective, uh, but it's not effective anymore. And you know that because you go and read the statistics, and only 20% of them are open. What are you going to do? To be able to communicate to people what's happening, what you need them to know. Yes, sir.
0: Yeah. But the whole church, they come right at it. Yeah. And they'll even go around the NC leader. Or they go around that. And no matter, I don't know how to avoid it. If you mean, set up an elder email account, uh, but sometimes it's hard. Like, I do not Do you start saying, I don't want to talk to you? I mean, that's where I'm struggling right now quite a
1: bit. Um, it depends on you. How have you postured yourself to your congregation? Um, you know, I, I'm fairly warm and congenial, but I'm an introvert, and most people know that. Um, and, uh, and so I'll give every like, hey, you really need to talk to so-and-so. And if they don't abide that, I won't respond anymore. Uh, and then when I see them on Sunday, they're like, you didn't respond to my text message. I'm like, why are you texting me? I told you who you need to talk to. Well, I want to talk to you. Well, if they can't help you, then I will meet with you. If they deem it necessary for me to meet with you. But you give generously so that I can hire him to do what he does. And I need you to let him do that. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, um, with intuition, and I'll just say this, and maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree, but with intuition comes this pastoral guilt uh, because there are people that you were close to when the church was small that you're not anymore, but they still want to be close. And I think our congregations don't know. In fact, I know they don't know that we experience the same pain of growth that they experienced, the same sense of loss that they experienced, the same sense of loss of control when we could have our whole arm around it that they experienced. Uh, and I began communicating those things uh, to most of our folks, and most of them got along with it, man, and, and they got fine with it. Uh, and, and, I mean, really, what what's been communicated at Renovation is when I have to step in it's usually not very good uh, <laughs> because either somebody didn't do their job at one level or you are pushing past where you should be. And both of those are discipleship issues that uh, that then I've got to step into. Does that make sense, Rick? Yeah. And you might need to change your phone number, my G. When's the last time you changed your number? It, it might be time, G. Seriously. And that sucks too, but... Might be time to do it. I got two, Carlos and then my man's back there. Oh, I got three. So I'll go this way. <coughs> yes, sir. So then, when you're up your time, Speak up, my homie. So when you're putting up your time, like, so then your best time for studying is the morning time. So then when, how much of counseling are you doing? So then what is that after you do with your staff in the afternoon? With my staff yeah. so or with counseling? Oh, i do all that in the afternoons if I can help it because, because of the way my energy works. Um, I don't do a whole lot of counseling anymore. Now, I'm at a different phase now. When, when, I, was, when I was still at your, at your phase, uh, I would do most of my counseling in the afternoons, or I would commit one or two evenings a week where I would not go in in the morning, and I'd just take three hours in the evening and just counsel. Uh, Because I knew that that was the best use of my time. Uh, But now, uh, you know, again, working yourself out of every job, uh, I don't counsel if I can help it. Uh, One, because I'm terrible at it. Uh, I really am. Like, I cast vision to people. They come in crying about their marriage. And and I'm casting vision. And they're like, oh, but my heart. And I'm like, yeah, but this is where you need to take that thing. You know, and and I'm not helpful for them. You know, So, uh, so some of that's intuitive. They've learned that I'm not helpful. Uh, <laughs> and some of it is my, my team taking care of me and knowing that that is not the best use of my energy or my gifts. Um, you want me to take these last two, or are we done? Uh, Bishop Adair said I got
0: to quit. So they got a lunch in here. So you can hang out. You want to talk to them, that'd be fine. But we got to kind of be moving out. So I apologize. We let all, most of our sessions go a little long, but they all right, want to talk. Thank here. you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, buddy.